0: Hey everybody, it's Travis from The Broom Show. There's a brand new app called Lower 22 Vets for veterans and active duty military members. This app combats suicide amongst veterans by bringing veterans together. So please go check it out. Sign up is free and it's easy and there's monthly giveaways. You can find the app on Google Play and Apple Store. So sign up now. Thank you. But yeah, happy to have you on. I mean, how are you doing? Good.
1: Happy Friday.
0: Oh, I know. Long weekend coming up. No. So
1: Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm excited.
0: Yeah. I mean Now
1: you're over and you're on the west coast.
0: Yeah, I'm in um in uh, California over here on the kind of by the desert, I guess. That's gotta be technical. I guess I'm close to Palm Springs, about thirty minutes. So yeah, nestled up in a little town right by the mountains, so it was pretty nice. <laughs> I'm
1: in New Jersey, which is not that nice. Oh,
0: <laughs> gosh. I didn't know that. I mean, I would have tried to do something earlier then. That's, that's okay. <laughs> um, And you're also the first uh, woman I've had on the show, so that's, that's freaking awesome also. Everybody's just been dudes so far. We had nothing but but guys on and it's nice to mix it up a little bit. So
1: absolutely. yeah. we were um, checking out your, your podcast page and that's why my, um, my uh, fiance thought he saw that there was um, somebody, I think it was just talking about MMA, but he thought it was like, Oh my God. That kind of <laughs> <MMA?"> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. I did like a, it's, I did an episode with uh, one of my friends from high school. He's in into MMA and stuff. So we kind of mm-hmm. talked about it a little bit. That's um, yeah, funny. It's, it's, been interesting. I mean, I've kind of started going this route just randomly, I guess. Like, I originally started podcasting with a friend that was in Navy with, and it kind of just fell apart. But it's like one of those things I've always thought about. It's like, this is super cool. I've known a lot of veterans, and it'd be cool just to talk to other veterans and no, kind I of get their stories.
1: I think it's awesome. And I was um i was really flattered when you asked you know i've been i've been getting more into <laughs> advocacy lately so this
0: is uh, this is a great opportunity well i think because I, I think i saw your stuff on that military blaze
1: oh, okay pop yeah.
0: up. no it, it's funny because uh the guy that an episode with adam he we crack up about because they're like man they just like like to take your money and stuff but at the same time that's how i met him and now that's how i met <laughs> i met you so i'm like hey there's some I guess something's working with it, you yeah, know, exactly. Exactly. But, uh, yeah. So um, I kind of want to get into it. So exactly, you know, a little bit of your story, your background and what led you to join the, the military and which branch and yeah. stuff like yeah. that.
1: Sure. Just get oh, into yeah. it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Just shoot from the hip. Okay.
1: <laughs> so, um, well, I'm from Maine originally. And so, uh, grew up born and raised in Maine. Um, Went to, you know, was the oldest in my family, the only girl, protective dad, single dad, very protective. Um, <laughs> I When I graduated, I went to uh, UMass Amherst. That's where I went to college. And I did about a year there, and I just pretty much partied too hard. My dad said, you know what? You're coming home. You need to figure out what you're going to do. So he sort of pulled the plug on college for me, went home, back to Maine, and um, got went. I knew we wanted to be in healthcare. So I went and got my certified nurse's assistant registration and I started taking care of patients at a local nursing home. And that was really eye opening for me. Um, You know, really taking care of patients at that stage of their life, it's a lot of hard work. And what it really made me realize is that I loved healthcare. I wanted to stay in it, but I didn't want to be doing that. I wanted to, you know, I would see, <laughs> right. So I would see the nurses. I would see the respiratory therapists and everyone. And I thought, you know, that's where I want to be. So I knew I wanted to do something more, but I wasn't really sure how I was going to get there. Um, I was, you know, like any 18 year old, I was broke. I had no money. I had this really crappy apartment. I was like literally scraping change from underneath the seat of my car to pay for gas. And um, one of my friends had joined the Air Guard and she, I, I caught up with her one day and she was telling me about it. And she said, you know, Shannon, she said, you should think about it. Um said, it's a great opportunity for me. They'll train you in a job and, you know, it could be great. So <laughs> I actually then, and nobody in my family, well, my great grandfather had been in the military, but nobody else had been in the military.
0: Wow. Um, I, I could usually. Usually that's not the case. Usually it's everybody I've ever talked to. It's like their brother, their dad, mom, somebody. You know, every day was just that's how it was for me. It's like strong military family.
1: My grandfather served in the um, the Navy in World War Two, but aside from him, nobody in my family had been, and I was probably the last person that they thought was going. (laughs) So, but my friend, she said, you know, you should go talk to a recruiter and find out what it's all about. And so I went to the local recruiter and I started talking to him and he was like, you know what, you should take the the ASVAP and find out, you know, state your scores. And if you want to be in healthcare, I can probably find you something. So I went, I took the test, I did really well. And he said, um, look, I can, you know, we have this job as a medical laboratory technician. You'll work at a hospital. Can you leave in like two weeks? And oh, dang. Said, you know what? I had nothing holding me back. So I, I went. I was 19. And off I went to the Air Force Um, basic training in um, San Antonio, Texas, in June. And um, I was this little main girl, you know, out of the state for the first time, really. Um, I went to did my basic training. Great, you know, for me, it just clicked Um, something about it. I think maybe it's because my dad was really strict. Um, I was the oldest child. It was kind of that combination of things where I just sort of really fit in naturally with you know following rules and i kind of figured out really quick like what i had to do to be successful in basic training and um so i i finished that and then i went to tech school in uh, at wright patterson air force base in ohio where i did about nine months yeah in a hospital there which was great um and then i got my orders for my permanent station one day and uh, they it said Spandau, and I thought, where is Spandau? Wow, where is that? Yeah, well, it's in Germany. Turns out, it's in Germany. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Man, so you went from Maine to Texas to Ohio, and then basically the other side of the map. That is... and,
1: and I didn't want to go. That was the kicker. <laughs> so I didn't want to go because I was I was dating a guy at the time who was in Ohio. And um I did not want to leave. I wanted to stay. And I try I actually tried to trade the assignment with other people in my in my group. Nobody would trade with me. And so off I went to Germany. And I'll tell you what, of course, the boyfriend didn't work out, um, which is you know great because there was so much more <laughs> beyond that <laughs> relationship. Um, but it turned out to be the best thing that could have ever happened to me. I ended up being stationed at Spengalum Air Force Base, which is about an hour south of Frankfurt. Um maybe half an hour drive from Luxembourg. It was amazing. I I worked at um, Bitburg Hospital, which is a tiny little um, hospital. We were uh, just, you know, I got to live off base in this little tiny community and my landlords were German and it was just amazing. Um, Traveled, you know, really, it was just such a great experience for me. Um, I knew when I had joined the Air Force though that I probably wasn't gonna make a lifetime career out of it. I really wanted to go to nursing school and I saw it as a vehicle to, you know, get me there. So I I did my four years and um, I was, I will say I was, I was pretty, you know, again, it really, the lifestyle really fit for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I I got an opportunity to really be, you know, do a lot of things, be successful at a lot of things. I got early promotion. um, I was awarded airman of the base one quarter, uh, you know, you know, so it just kind of it fit for me. But um, but again, I knew my heart really wanted to be in nursing school. And so I did my I did my four years and I, I got out and then went back to Maine and um, went to nursing school. And <laughs> took off from there, I guess.
0: Yeah, And it's funny because um, like I've served with people that joined just to go to school also or along, you know, something along those lines. They, they know they're not going to stay in for mm-hmm. life. And it, like when you're in, or at least for in, the, like in the Navy for us, like some of mm-hmm. the guys would like give those individuals a hard time. They're like, "Oh, you're only here to get a free mm-hmm. ride, you know, mm-hmm. college." But like I went to college afterward. I got that wasn't mm-hmm. my initial uh, intention, but mm-hmm. you know, it's it shouldn't be frowned upon. It's like that's you still earned it though. That's your four years. You you gave up four years of your life to something. Absolutely. But, I mean whether that's the reason why you did it joined or not i mean a lot of people for some reason are sticklers about that that i've come across with especially when i was in um, not so much now like when people are out and they all go to college now they're everybody does it even the ones that would complain about people doing that so it's like okay you know it's just it's one of those things why not use it even if that's not the reason why you joined it well, you know, yeah and it was i mean
1: when i look back at my life you know, I'm 45 now, so that was you know 25 years ago. And I look back at my life, and everything I've done has been, you know, an opportunity, a learning opportunity for me. And it it was, I mean, and don't get me wrong, it, it was great. I got the GI Bill; it helped pay for my college. But the experiences that I got, um, it made me grow up. I learned how to budget my finances. I I really credit my um, time in the Air Force to making me a really strong, independent woman. Um, I learned, you know, you had to be responsible for yourself. I had to, you know, get myself up, take care of the little things as a <laughs> 20, 20 year old, you know, you're just not used to these things. So it forced me to grow up. Um, I, you know, the, just the, the diversity of, of being um, outside of Maine, um, working with a team for the first time, really, you know, understanding what discipline is and integrity. Those are the core values of the military. Yeah. I really do take with me. And I think that they prepared me for every step that happened after that, whether it was you know going to nursing school, um, working in the critical care unit, um, you know, and then later on in my life when I got my diagnosis, and now what I'm really trying to do is you know more advocacy work for women veterans that are fighting breast cancer. So I, when I look back at that, I mean, quite honestly, I feel like um, I think I feel like everybody should serve. I think i think it should be a requirement honestly um i have four kids and i think it would be i know they're not all gonna go to college but i think um serving it just there's just something about it that makes you grow up and it makes Mm -hmm. you really get a perspective on life that otherwise you may never have
0: that's that's very true and it's it's funny because um that's like something my grandpa who was like played a large Mm -hmm. role in my life growing up he was in the navy and that's what he'd always tell me he said every like uh, American has a moral obligation mm-hmm. to serve and it's, you know, growing up, I think it's stupid. I'm like, whatever, but I up listening, obviously, you know, joining the military, but I think you're right. I mean, um, like you see, especially in today's society, there's so many people that just want things given to them mm-hmm. without having to really give up anything or sacrifice anything. And, and I cause I've seen, with the whole free college thing or get rid of student loans, a lot of ex-military or even active duty military people are like, no, you know, that's, what about us? We earned it and now Mm -hmm. we're just going to give it away to everybody. And that's like we were talking about a lot of people join Mm -hmm. just to go to college. It's, it's a way for them to, to make that step going into their early twenties, late thirties, whatever, however they are, you know? And I think it's not unfair. It's kind of a, I guess like a slap in the face of individuals that are willing to give up something to get that free college. Those who know the risk, you know, you got to take student loans and if, if you're going to complain about it, then you shouldn't, I guess, do it in a sense.
1: Well, and I think that's, you know, the other piece, like the financial part of it too. I mean, I don't remember how much I made as a airman, but it was, Mm. my paycheck was like $300 every two weeks or something. Right. And you know, and you, but you just, you figured out like how to budget and okay. So I had 300 bucks. And, you know, after I paid for my car insurance, I, I actually shipped my car over to Germany. So I had a car.
0: Oh, crap.
1: <laughs> I had my car, but that was good. I didn't have any money after my, after my car payment. Um, which by the way, made me like a total cool kid that I had a car. I had a vehicle over there. I was everybody's uh, friend because I had a vehicle.
0: But. Oh, that's how it works though. Like, um, one of my, my best friend, he got a Jeep after deployment because mm-hmm it's all we're not all tax-free but you go to the war zones and stuff and you get tax-free pay so i don't know what i do with mine but i know i didn't buy anything that i have today with it <laughs> but he bought a jeep and you we just went everywhere man we were like we got totally different freedom now we're stationed in san diego so we're like man we can drive everywhere instead of taking the bus and the trolley system that they have it yeah, you know, having a vehicle in the military is like being the the kid in high school that has a car yeah. and the license Everybody okay. jumping in. Everybody's it's like, "What are we doing?"
1: We drove all over Europe, um, and that's <laughs> the autobahn, right? So Germany has the autobahn, and um, I, ha- my, so my car—it was a Chevy Cavalier—and I'll never forget. You know, I am driving to Frankfurt Airport and driving around Germany, and like, I thought I was going fast. You know, 75, <laughs> 80 miles an hour, and the car was just fly by you because there's no, there literally is no speed limit on the autobahn.
0: So that's what's cool about being stationed like in germany mm-hmm. or even just in europe i mm-hmm. you could uh i mean all those other countries are right there so did you you say you traveled do you go a bunch of what other countries did you like on the weekend or whenever you had time off yeah or like, well, i'm gonna go check it out
1: yeah so we would um i could drive to uh france it was you know luxembourg and france were really close drove to paris um drove to uh, amsterdam took the train to austria to flight to Sicily, you know, it's just everything. The only place I didn't go, I didn't go to England, actually, surprisingly, because uh, it was really close. I just didn't get around to it. But it was just an opportunity. And I've never been back, so I keep saying, I want to go back, I want to go back. And then before you know it, like 20 years has gone by. And it feels, if you're honestly, it feels like a lifetime ago when I think mm-hmm. I, I see pictures and I look back at it, I'm like, oh, I'm so young, and I wish <laughs> I wish I had taken you know more advantage of being over there, you know, it was just such such an amazing opportunity for me, but it did, it did really force me to grow up and it definitely, definitely prepared me um, to do well in nursing school. You know, when I came back, I was super focused. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I got a job. I started, I had actually, so I was a a lab tech in the air force. And so when I got home, I was able to get a job at a local medical lab um, in the same, Type of position, which was great. So I got hired right away. I had no issues, um, but because I think just the field I was in, mm-hmm. healthcare, it's it's really easy to transition when you're in healthcare.
0: Yeah, I, that that's that's probably the that's probably true. Because uh, I mean, a lot of veterans, <laughs> you know, we don't we don't go down like a, a career path like that while mm-hmm. we're in, which is probably like I think about this stuff all the time now. Like if I could go back and redo some things, I would definitely try to get like a different a different rate than what I was doing, mm-hmm. because it didn't, I didn't. There's jobs for it, but it's not something I love to do. It's like I don't really want to do this my whole life. But kind of like you're saying, you but you had like your path. You knew what you wanted to do. I went it's 18 years old, also mm-hmm. like a lot of other people are just trying to get away from where you are, right. and kind of winging it. Like all the countries I went to, I wish I would have. Man, if I I wouldn't. Have party so much and actually traveled, <laughs> traveled these countries because you
1: don't know when you're 18. You're just uh, you know you're just not you don't have the the life experience. You just you know you're. I look at kids now, 18 year olds, and they're just babies, right? They're so young. Oh, yeah. And there we were, we were just like gone doing this as 18, with <laughs> no life experience, nothing, no perspective at all. You're, but that's what it's about, I guess, is building all of that. Yeah, and it mistakes and, and learning from them.
0: And it's crazy the responsibility you have at 18 19 years old like you're talking about growing up and doing things on your own besides yeah. just doing laundry and like your everyday stuff by yourself right. the type of responsibility you have yeah. in, in the military is totally different than oh. going straight to college high school mm-hmm. and you're working part-time at a job it's mm-hmm. like people's lives could be in involved or right. whatever the case may be you know you mess yep. up and you have no tra- like the training for it too i tell people it's it kind of insane or at least it's probably different for nursing in the military, mm-hmm. but, um, for what I did, and I'm sure many others, the schooling was like three months and then you're on a carrier, which is like mm-hmm. one of the most dangerous jobs in the world. Yeah. And you have no real training. All of a sudden there's jets taking mm-hmm. off and it's like, Oh crap. You're like, you're just figuring this thing out on the fly. <laughs> and it's crazy yeah. to, mm-hmm. to have that responsibility at such a young age. Yeah. But, um, it's it's extremely important, I think, for for kids to experience that you know that type of level of commitment too. It's not something you could just quit one day. That's right. Or call in sick. You can't That's mail definitely. it in.
1: I was up every day at you know four thirty in the morning because you know I worked the early shift at the hospital and had to get there. I had to go draw the blood on all the patients the first thing in the morning and just you know part of what you did. You just did it.
0: So. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a thankless job like a career path, even, (laughs) even now, like I think they're starting to get more traction for veterans and um, helping them in transition and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. But Mm -hmm. I feel like that's just recent and it's still kind of like baby steps Mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. I agree. agree. And it's just, it's, it's crazy to think of of what people go through and in that transition, getting out, Mm-hmm. And uh, that level of importance, I think, is hard to duplicate for almost anybody unless, you know, you have a kind of a career path already mm-hmm. in mind that you're going down. Yeah. Um, maybe even so, even if you do have that career path in mind, I'm sure it's still there's times where you're like, oh, man, this is totally different. It's not as it's not the same as what I was doing or something like that.
1: No, it was scary. I mean, I came home. I was it was four years after, Um. you know, it, it was almost like a time warp. Right. So I came home and everybody had just kind of been going on with their life in the past four years and um, and so reintegrating into that was definitely different um, I was you know four years older and then you know I got home and then 9/11 happened I, I mean I'll never forget I um, I was had just started school because it was September 11 so I had just started the week before and I was getting ready that morning um, to go to school and you know watching the news like a lot of other Americans like literally saw the plane fly into the Trade Center when I was watching the Today Show. And um, at the time, my, uh, the the guy I was dating who was still in the military, he was um, still in Germany and, you know, they were getting ready to deploy him. He was um, military police and it was just crazy, right? It didn't, so, and so life for everybody changed at that point. Um, but, you know, I, just kind of put my head down and got through school buckled down did what i had to do i was just really laser focused on you know getting through nursing school and and i did i made it through and um i knew i wanted to be a critical care nurse that was what i wanted to do i didn't want to you know everybody else had other specialties but I, I wanted to take care of like the sickest of the sick so i was really lucky i graduated and i got into um uh, uh the Maine medical center which is the biggest trauma center in maine and I got hired into their critical care unit and I took care of some really, really sick patients for a couple of years. Um, you know, my uncle uh, is an anesthesiologist and he was in the Navy for several years. And, and then he transitioned to the air force actually. And he was in Iraq and um, you know, worked on all the trauma and uh, and he would tell me that, you know, it was similar to critical care because we would see, you know, motor vehicle and motorcycle accidents. Um, you know, attempted suicides, just like the worst stuff. And so I did that for a couple of years and it kind of burnt me out actually. It was mm-hmm. um it was really traumatic to see after a while. And so I um I transitioned into a more community based hospital. So when I did that, I was fortunate to become um I got to do some different things. And it was a smaller hospital, had more opportunities and Started to get into quality and patient safety. So I would, you know, we do more education, teaching other nurses how to take care of patients, uh, working more with families, working a lot with physicians. And that sort of put me on a trajectory out, you know, so it took me out of the bedside. So I no longer actually cared for patients, but I worked with people to make their care safer. And that was, you know, an eye opening experience because, you know, hospitals can be a scary place to be. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I've been in a few, and it's. Mm-hmm. Um. It's funny because my dad's very very similar in that sense. Like, it there's a like an eerie feeling to me every time I go in a hospital, mm-hmm. even like when my kids were being born. you almost just I don't know. It just feels uncomfortable sometimes. You're walking through the the halls and trying to get to your room. I don't know. Hospitals freak me out. I've I've never had to go for myself, luckily, mm-hmm. but. Um. Yeah. There's definitely like that that feeling like, man, there's, I don't know, I just always think man, somebody probably died in that room and I'm walking right by it yeah. or, you know, it's just a weird feeling.
1: Well, yeah. you know, even more than that, it's, you know, it, and everyone, everyone in healthcare that I know, they go into it because they want to help people. They want to take care of people. Um, but healthcare has just become so complex. And, you know, the nurses that I know now, they're, you know, they're trying to multitask all day long. They're trying to take care of their patients. They're trying to document in the computer. They're, you know, answering phone calls. They're dealing with families, and, you know, the the art of nursing has really become um, buried under all of these other things that nurses are responsible for. And so, what happens, unfortunately, is that sometimes errors happen. And that's what I really meant by scary: is that if you've ever had a loved one in the hospital, I mean, I would never leave my if my child or my partner were hospitalized, I would never leave them alone because quite honestly, bad things happen. And, you know, that's my job is to work with hospitals now to help them put in place strategies so that bad things don't happen, but it still does. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, just recently in the news was a case from Vanderbilt hospital down in, um, Tennessee, um, or Kentucky, sorry. And, um, it was a, a case where a nurse gave the wrong medication to a patient and the patient died and the nurse actually was convicted of negligent homicide. So, you know, it's, you know, it's a scary time to be in healthcare, And a lot of nurses, especially after the pandemic now, are leaving the field because they're just tired. They're exhausted. They've been caring for really, really sick patients for the past two years. And, you know, they're just exhausted and they don't feel like they're being supported. And so they're leaving. Um, So, you know, as a Nurse leader, now I really, and you know, trying to figure out ways to help build resilience of other nurses to help healthcare leaders, hospital executives, um, really find the resources to support nurses. Because what are we going to do if there's no nurses? We're facing a huge shortfall of nurses. Um, you know, in 20 years, I don't know how many nurses are going to be retiring, but a, a lot. And there's just not. We don't have the nurses in the pipeline to replace all of them. So it is an interesting time for health care in general. You know, and then, um, of course, you know, when I had my diagnosis, uh, talk about, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to, have, to be a nurse and a patient at the same time is um, an interesting position to be in.
0: So you're still working when you first uh, got, wow.
1: Yeah, yeah. Did you work
0: throughout the... Throughout every, I did, treatment.
1: I did. I worked wow. throughout my treatment. Um, so I was diagnosed about three years ago, and uh, so, long long story short, I so I found I actually found a lump, um, in my breast, and I, you know, I went to my doctor and I told her, and um, of course she was like, all right, well let's go get you an ultrasound. Did that, and then um, radiologist said, look, it looks kind of weird. I think you should get a biopsy. So. But I'm still like, okay, it's just a lump, you know, it's fine. I'm, you know, I was uh, 42 years old, totally healthy, never had anything wrong with me at all. Um, did the, did the biopsy and then I'll never, forget. I was at work that day and my doctor called me and she said, you know, you have, um, unfortunately, Shannon, you have uh, triple negative breast cancer. And I said, what, what is that?
0: Yeah. I've never uh, heard it described like that before. What?
1: yeah, so of all the breast cancers to get, it's the worst one. It's the most aggressive, and um, the triple negative piece just means that it is it doesn't respond to the three big hormone groups. So some women have breast cancer that responds to estrogen, and some women um, have you know other kinds. but triple negative means it's it's negative to all three of those kinds, which is a bad thing because there is no targeted therapy for it which makes it more difficult to treat. And it is a faster growing one. So anyway, so I, you know, after cool. kind of having a mini meltdown when I got my diagnosis, I, you know, I, I just said, okay, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to like kick this cancer's ass? Like, I'm not, I'm like, I'm 42. I have four kids. I don't have time for this shit, basically. <laughs> you know? and, and so my doctor was like, okay, well, come on in. And, um, you know, I met with, I had a team of uh, my oncologist and my breast surgeon and um, my primary care physician, and they were amazing. And, you know, I think they, they knew that I was a nurse. So I had some level of knowledge around, you know, healthcare, but cancer to me, I wasn't a cancer nurse, so I didn't understand mm-hmm. it all. So I had a lot of learning to do, but, um, right out of the bat about, you know, three weeks later, they started me on chemotherapy and I did six months of chemo and I worked the whole time I did. I would, uh, <laughs> Have my sessions every two weeks. I'd have go to the hospital for a whole day and I'd bring my laptop and I would, <laughs> and I would work. You know, it was like it was this big room and it was probably 20 patients. We all were in like these chairs, like these recliner chairs. And um, I would just they'd hook me up. I had a port, so they'd hook me up to the port and um I would just work and I'd sit in there and I'd do conference calls and <laughs> work all day. The key well, was-
0: extremely impressive because I've I mean i know if that were me i'd man i would have been like i'm calling out every day because <laughs> <You guys, what? laughs>
1: it kept me going you know it kept me going um to you know to not be thinking i didn't want to think about the cancer so mm-hmm. the work helped me take my mind off it and it made me feel like i was some somewhat normal to be able to do the work and I, I was afraid that if i stopped if i stopped then i would just be like this cancer patient and i didn't want to be a cancer patient i was a nurse That was going through cancer treatment um so i I, you know i I did that and i i got through it it was pretty you know it was rugged but it was six months i got through it and then i had um i did a double mastectomy because again i'm a badass (laughs) i I was like take them both i'm like i'm not gonna like worry about it coming back in the other one so they did that and i had some reconstruction surgery and then i did six more months of chemo after that so june marks my this june so next month will be two years cancer free so it's marks when i finished all of my stuff yeah so five years is the mark thank you five years is like the mark when you can make it to five years then um then you're pretty much out of the woods so i'm two years in and i'm like okay three more years to go and then i'm then then my risk for reoccurrence drops back down to somebody who has not had cancer before
0: Oh, so that, I mean, so there's definitely light there at the end of the tunnel, uh, in a sense. Yeah. You know, it, you're getting closer yeah. and closer, and um, yeah, it's been something that's happened in my family. Uh, breast mm-hmm. cancer. My mm-hmm. when I was in boot camp, actually, my aunt had passed away mm-hmm. uh, from bre- breast cancer. My grandma's had it mm-hmm. twice, I think, and she kind of, she did the same thing. She just yeah. double mastectomy and took them off. And I mean. It's, it's but I think it's smarter to do that. I, I mean, talk, that's just, this probably a guy's perspective, but no fair. I were in that spot. I'd probably do the same thing. You know, it's right. either that or living, especially when you got kids and,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, uh, I didn't you know, want
1: to, if there was anything I said, what can I do? Like I give me all my options. And I was like, I'm just going to do whatever I can. Cause I didn't, mm-hmm. I just didn't want to give it any chance to
0: come back. Yeah. And that's, and I think I'm sure it hits different when you have kids. Um, like, I, man, I've thought about things like that before. If something were mm-hmm. to happen to me now that I have kids, it's not just oh, it happened to me. Now I got mm-hmm. my wife, my kids. Mm-hmm. What are they gonna do? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like one of those things. As you get older, perspective mm-hmm. changes too. You know, like yeah. I would, I think of all the stupid crap I do when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I, I think everybody does. You know, you're just living life. You're not thinking about other people like what if something were Mm -hmm. to happen to me i never thought when i was in the navy or even afterwards like man if i get super crazy tonight it's Mm -hmm. what's gonna happen what what will my mom think or my dad if something happens it changes your life
1: when you have kids right it just makes you
0: yeah it really does um that's that's crazy that's a is it was there any part too when so when you get diagnosed and you know that there's this like nursing kind of um like shortage and like over usage happening is there any part of you that even thought like this is scary because now i'm a patient and i know yeah. what's going on in the industry as a whole right now so yeah. it's like you better you guys better be mind your t's and q's
1: so it's funny they said that because that's how I, that's how i was and i'll never forget like the first my first session um and because i was also i'm also an infection prevention nurse so My job was to make sure people wash their hands and that they, you know, put the right skin antiseptic on before they stuck needles in people. And so that first time I was getting treated, um, I'll never forget the the chemo nurse when she came over. I said to her, I said, Look, I said, I know you might have just washed your hands out in the hallway. I said, But I really need need to see you wash your hands before you touch my port. And she kind of looked at me like she you know, she was taken aback by it. And I said, I'm sorry. I said, I'm not trying to come off here you know it's difficult but i said this is really this is my body and i said i know what is probably on your hands i said so i need you to wash it and, she did. And, and after that it was it was kind of like um that first time it was like me letting them know like listen i know enough to be a pain in your ass and and so we had to come to this mutual level of respect which we did i did get um i did get in trouble a few times because i would i would adjust. well you know i'd be sitting there and the 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 IV and the medication it would be infusing into my port and when so when the medication bag gets empty what happens is air gets into the tube and then the air comes down and it can go into your body and so I would clamp the line off when it was done and they'd come over and say Shannon you should not touch that line So hey I'm a nurse okay I you know I've done this <laughs> so they're like, but you're a patient now Shannon you're a patient so um yeah it was it was difficult at times but we, we made it through. And in the end, I, I really, I love those nurses. I brought them. Um, I actually had a, a whole big box of whoopie pies from Maine because Maine is known for their whoopie pies. I had a whole box of whoopie pies shipped down to them as my thank you because they were so amazing and they helped me get through a really, you know, tough six months. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm grateful to my team of chemo nurses. That's, that's a tough <laughs> job. That's a tough job. That's, that's rugged and and for them to come every day and to do that and take care of all those patients that says a lot about their dedication Mm -hmm. to nursing
0: yeah it's uh my mother-in-law is actually going through treatments right now she had a a tumor that they found in her her neck and it's cancer Mm -hmm. so she's doing uh treatments too Mm -hmm. and i can only imagine like that type of that line of work where you're treating all these individuals if there's 20 chairs they're all full Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and just the mental where like I think you kind of mentioned mentioned it earlier mm-hmm. just from the um, the job itself I mean you make you, I'm sure you become friends with these patients or mm-hmm. s- on some type of level mm-hmm. and if mm-hmm. something happens they, they don't make it I'm right. sure that hits home at a different more than more so than if it were you know if a dog or anything like that I mean you these are strangers you get to know that they have families and stuff yeah. like that so it's a little bit different.
1: Nurses do develop um, relationships. You know, when I was in the ICU, I cared for many, many patients, um, and I'll never forget this one. Um, it was an elderly gentleman. He had been driving uh, with his wife, who was also they were in their 80s or something, and he actually ran through a light, and he was t-boned, and his wife died. Um, he survived. He, you know, got admitted, was in my ICU, and he was. Um, he was probably, you know, sedated and on a ventilator for probably six weeks, um, you know, because he had just multiple fractures, head injury, everything. Oh. And, um, you know, I was his primary nurse, so I took care of him every every day that I was there. I took care of him and I got really, really close with his family. And um, I'll never forget, you know, when we finally were able to you know, lift his sedation and wake him up and his family was all there, you know, and the, the first thing he asked for, you know, where's my wife? He had no idea that she had passed. Uh, So, you know, just supporting that family through that hard time. Um, And, you know, I kept in touch with them a lot, you know, afterwards for a while, they would email and, you know, give me updates on how he was doing, but you really do, you you form a bond and, um, you know, physicians, you know, the rest of the care team, they're all critical, right? They're all really important, but there's just something about that relationship that patients form with their nurses that, um, you know, I remember, you know, the nurses that took care of me when I was in the hospital having my surgery. I wrote a letter afterwards and just thanked them. Said, you know, thank you. And I know I have a pain in the ass, but thank you for um, <laughs> taking such good care of me. Because it is a hard job. It's a hard job.
0: Well, yeah, like we said, it's kind of a thankless job. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's kind of one of those jobs to me that um, people, you hear more, negative stuff about than the positive stuff, like when it comes to the news and mm-hmm. and stuff like that, oh, like especially during the pandemic, they're saying, oh, nurses don't want to wear masks. Nurses don't want to do this. It's, but there's no talk about these individuals are working three or four days straight and dealing with the sickest people you could possibly deal with. And I think the kicker for, for anybody would be a lot of the people that did die from during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. They died alone. Like their families couldn't even go in there and say their farewell or anything.
1: They were putting I, iPads uh, iPads up to patients' ears so they could hear. It's, yeah. Oh my gosh! It's such a time. Like we, you know, it, it feels surreal now when I think about it.
0: Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's crazy. yeah, it's it, it's it's crazy because it feels like it was all forever ago already. Mm-hmm. But it was like just last year where we we're living in this super crazy time where. You couldn't really do anything. And like my wife had actually gone to emergency room uh, not too long ago. And the same thing, I couldn't go in there. Mm -hmm. She had to be in the room by herself. Even when our daughter was born, she was born last year. Mm -hmm. Same thing, I had to wait in the car Mm -hmm. till like the final second, which is stressful as hell. Because then I was Mm -hmm. running with all these bags through the hospital, like damn, (laughs) what room is she in? And it's like (laughs) the baby's coming like any second. It's like, oh crap. yeah. It's like, I don't even know where she's at. I don't know what side of the hospital. I'm on the right side. But, uh, it, it is one of those jobs though. I think like you're saying for doctors, physicians, and nurses, even, even like when you walk in and they take your name, like nobody talks about any of those people and they just get negative news all the time. Oh, they don't want to do this. They don't want to, they're complaining about this and they're not letting families do it. Well, it's, Honestly, they don't really have a choice. It's kind of the rules that's put in place. You know,
1: I've tried to, um, that's, I've tried now at this point in my life, going through all these different experiences, you know, being in the Air Force and then, you know, beating cancer and, um, and the, really the path that my nursing has taken me on. Um, I've really started to embrace the opportunities. I, and I look at everything that's good or bad that's happened to me. I see it as an opportunity for me to continue to grow, and um, one of the things that I'm really focusing on right now is, like I said, more advocacy work, particularly around women veterans and breast cancer. Um, there's been some studies, uh, was it Walter Reed did a study in 2009 that showed that military women had a 20 to 40% chance of developing breast cancer compared to the average population um, where it's around 12%, and particularly wow. women of color in the military. So it, you know, this is an issue that I want to bring more um, focus to. There was a, a woman, um, Dr. Kate Hendricks Thomas, who actually just recently passed away on April 5th at 40. She was 42 years old. She was diagnosed with breast cancer at 38. So she fought for five years, but she was um, a, a researcher, a writer, an educator. And um, she served. She was a Marine. She served in Iraq. She... Um, came home, you know, got married, got her PhD, was carrying on with her life. And, um, her primary care doctor told her one day, you know, Kate, I think you should, I think you should go get a mammogram. And she said, why, you know, I'm, I'm not 40. And her, and her doctor said, no, I think you should. You know, there's some evidence that, um, women that serve in Iraq and other, um, war zones where there's burn pits, that
0: that's, that's what I was thinking. I wonder if that had something to do with it was the so, burn pits.
1: Yep, and so she went, and um, her mammogram um, showed she had stage four cancer. So wow. when, in a, from a screening mammogram, she so stage four is you know of course the worst. She had metastasized cancer throughout her body, um, and so she fought for the next five years. She fought, and um, she actually was a huge advocate for this, and um, she was you know she's done a lot of uh, you know. Podcasts, and she was on John Stewart show, and um, really was, I would say, probably the biggest advocate out there for this. And like I said, she just passed away a little over a month ago. She left a husband and a seven-year-old son. Oh, but um, you know, the work that she did was really bringing attention to the risk of the burn pits, and not only for breast cancer, but for prostate cancer, for throat cancer, for men and women that were exposed to it, and. You know the 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 real risk is this delayed onset of cancer because you know you could be exposed to the burn pits and then you know get discharged, come home from your deployment, and then may even be discharged, and then it's not until years later that you are diagnosed. Um, so there's a lot of uh, legislation now, a lot of discussion in in Washington around um, enacting new laws, really reform around um, military of benefits, paying Mm -hmm. for treatment of cancers related to bird pits, paying for um, health uh, medical uh, disabilities related to bird pits, but there's a lot of pushback on it. And Kate was a big advocate for that. And, um, but even, you know, some of these, you know, some of the law, the bills that came out that were sponsored were very strong in the beginning, but then they get, you know, as they make their way through the system, they get watered down and things get added to them. There isn't a bill right now. It's called the service act and it's actually pushing for younger women um, in the military to have um, better access to mammograms and um, particularly right after deployments. So hopefully, you know, this is gonna be something that will get passed into law. Um, there's some other bills out there that are looking to require every state um, have mammograms available as part of their VA health. And believe it or not, um, some states, my state, New Jersey, does not have mammography service in the VA hospitals. So (laughs) veterans, it's crazy. You know, we have multi-million dollar um, pieces of equipment to do surgery on people, but we don't have mammography services in the VA hospitals in New Jersey. Um, VA New Jersey has actually contracted with an outside service. So they have a process in which veteran women can get referrals to a service to get their mammogram but it adds an extra step. And all of those extra steps, if you have to, the more steps you have to go through to get something done, the less likely you're going to do that, right? It's just another challenge for a woman to navigate. Um, It's more phone calls. It's dealing with, you know, the insurance. It's dealing with, you know, getting referrals. And so all these challenges exist. Uh, There is, you know, like I said, there's, there are bills, Hopefully, that will get passed. That will improve access to um, mammography services because that is the number one thing right now: is to get these women that have been exposed. And it's it's similar that they've done studies, and the, the actual the the fumes and the toxins that are generated by these burn pits are exactly the same of what the 9/11 responders dealt with. And so, you know, the faster that women can get um, screened, the better that they will be. You know, it's it's a tragedy just a travesty that Dr. Um, Hendrix Thomas, you know, she wasn't diagnosed until she was stage four. And Mm -hmm. um, and there's other women out there like that as well. So um, I'm actually working. So my hospital that I got my treatment at, I I asked them if they would partner with me on a a, a breast cancer wellness event. And um, June 12th is National Women's Veteran Appreciation Day and several states recognize that. New Jersey is one state that has actually recognized that, which is wonderful. (laughs) And so it's in, right? Well, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So in recognition of um, Veterans, Women Women Veterans Appreciation Day on June 11th, where I'm actually going to be hosting with my hospital, Capital Health, um, uh, we're calling it... um, Resilient Warriors. And it's a breast cancer event that we're going to invite veteran women to come and they're going to hear about how to get screening and the importance of screening. And we're doing some yoga. We're going to talk about, you know, the importance of healthy eating. And um, we're just going to kind of talk about survivorship and Mm -hmm. how to, you know, how to deal with after treatment, because, you know, once, even though your chemo is done, it's never really over. You know, you deal with the struggles for a long, long time. There's a lot of physical and cognitive and mental side effects that last a long time. And so I really wanna just be more of an advocate for women. I wanna bring more attention to this issue. I'm hoping through our discussion today that we'll do that. Um, I you know, I wanted to just give a plug for, it's called burnpits360.org. That is an advocacy group. John Stewart works for them. Um, Dr. Hendrix Thomas was involved with them. They're bringing a lot of attention to this for both men and women veterans.
0: Um, yeah, I was gonna, it, it's, I remember hearing about that, mm-hmm. uh, the burn pit situation. It, it just, I want to say it's maybe beginning this year, or late last year. Mm-hmm. There was some traction on the news about it, and it kind mm-hmm. of, yeah, you know, just dissipated a little bit, and it kind of went, kind of went away. Mm-hmm. Um, but it reminded me of of a story. So when I was still in Navy, um, my best friend, a couple of people from our ship volunteer to go on deployment on another ship uh, i think it was USS reagan if i remember correctly and this is right when japan had the the hurricanes and the nuclear plant like leaked into the ocean mm-hmm. well they responded they went there and it, it kind of made me think with the burn pits and what from what they've told me what they were kind of forced to do because they were getting exposed to all this radiation like one of the guys that when they came back he said they this is kind of crazy when he said they, there's a seagull on the flight deck he kicked in like exploded and green stuff can start coming out of it and they had to wash them down every time they came down from the flight deck they're testing them for radiation but they made them sign a waiver or some sort of thing you know basically covering their own mm-hmm. their own ass a little bit and god I feel like it was just a couple years ago I saw something come up with that and they're saying hey were you wronged on mm-hmm. during this time on deployment or in the military, whatever it was. Um, you know, it was like a law office trying to help mm-hmm. veterans navigate through that because they sign these waivers. And what are you going to do when you're
1: right.
0: in the middle of all this thing? It's, I can't even imagine in that situation being stripped down, hosed down and, Oh yeah, sign this waiver by the way. And like you said, kind of like those burn pit situations, it might not show up two three years after you get out but now it's been 20 years and something pops up you know like well what the hell you know and that's where it stems from
1: yeah john stewart has been a huge advocate for for 9-11 survivors um and and um you know the recovery and and the rescuers down there but now even you know with veterans as well and and he said that this is the true cost of war right this Mm -hmm. is the true cost and it's these um delayed onset diagnosis that our vets are are being um diagnosed with years after and it's so hard to try to get you know congress the administration and the va to recognize that i think we're you know as more people start to talk about it and but what we really need is more research and data to show it right we can talk all day but the data has to be there so hopefully you know Walter Reed, other organizations, the federal government will fund studies on women veterans um, and male veterans, too, just because you have to have that data to be able to show that this is a real thing. And, um, you know, they need to they need to fund.
0: Yeah. And a sad part part to me is that all these things, all these like um, things that get brought to light are by service members. There's no um, like I was we just did a walk for veteran suicide um, awareness a couple weekends ago. And I think just from veterans I've talked to and just getting to be around other veterans and mm-hmm. seeing how they operate and get dive into what they think a little bit. The VA, I, I don't like to always bash the VA because there's some good things with the VA, but I think there's so much run around with the VA and a lot of mm-hmm. veterans like in a situation where they might need to get tested for cancer. or their hearing, whatever it may be they back problems there's just so many hoops and hurdles you have to jump through
1: absolutely
0: for a organization that says they're there to help but then you just get steered and turned so many different ways mm-hmm. and you're kind of just left to your own sure. your own you know uh means of figuring things out and that's why all these little groups or groups do pop up mm-hmm. where they're veteran owned or veteran organized groups because mm-hmm. they're I think somebody brought up, too, they're like, we're 1% of the population, Mm -hmm. but nobody really speaks out for us. Everybody, there's a handful of people that maybe do, but to make any real change, it seems like veterans really have to do all the legwork themselves. Congress and stuff, they thank you for your service, and that's it. There's no real backbone to help us out, uh, in a sense, you know, just kind of left to our own devices, so...
1: Well, you know, I'm I'm gonna do my part as as a loudmouth nurse, <laughs> and you know, they they actually I'm on the New Jersey Commission of, for Women Veterans, and that uh, has been a great opportunity for me. And I, you know, in the commission one of our three goals is advancing healthcare and awareness of breast cancer, other you know um, veteran related um, diseases, and so I'm gonna be right out there front in front as you know as much as I can because. We need to bring more attention to this and um and not just on memorial day weekend <laughs> but and not yeah. just on you know national women veterans appreciation day but all year round
0: <laughs> yeah that's that's kind of how it goes right there's the mm-hmm. veterans week or it becomes veterans week on veterans day now so it's like we get like these little moments throughout mm-hmm. the year where people don't hate and they blast it all over the news and, right. and then it just goes away that's it. it. And all right, now you guys are back to fending for yourselves, figure it out. Um,
1: But you know, I think, I do think that, you know, as veterans, and part of that has taught us that we do have to advocate for ourselves and we do Mm -hmm. have to, you know, be our, our own support a lot of the time. And I think that makes us stronger. Um, It doesn't make it right, but it makes us stronger. And I think it makes us more equipped to be able to handle some of these challenges. Um, I'm just trying to leverage those strengths, you know, and that's what I, I tell my kids, you know, when we talk about tough times and mm-hmm. when they go through, your kids are young, right? You said,
0: yeah, I have a three-year-old and a, uh, yeah, she's going to be 10 months. So yeah. You wait, so,
1: you wait. When they're <laughs> minor 13, 12, uh, 10 and seven and, you know, it's all drama all the time, right? They're middle school. And I, so I have to give them perspective. And so I say, look, you know i joined the air force i went through boot camp i went overseas i you know did all this on my own i came back i put myself through nursing school i fought cancer like that is the real you know like that's the real deal and you know i said you guys have this strength in you if i was able to literally pull myself up by my bootstraps and do this so can you and so we're you know trying to set that example and I, you'll be, in, you'll have those same
0: conversations, <laughs> I'm sure. Well, they're important to have. Um, like my, my father was like that. I mean, he, he didn't join the military, but 17 years old or 18, whatever, graduate high school, he moved out on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, he's born in Mexico, so he's first generation, basically here. Mm-hmm. And really, I always say, like, he's a perfect example, of, like the American dream, in a sense, because he grew up in like the projects he really pulled himself out and provided for three three kids and yeah. you know about a house Is like hey he might not be a millionaire but the odds were stacked against him to mm-hmm. fail so growing up i always i i guess subconsciously was taking in everything he would tell me because mm-hmm. as a kid you know you're just like oh whatever i don't want to hear it same thing with my grandpa who was in the navy very strong men um opinionated mm-hmm. um a lot of pride between the two of them and yeah, when I got older and I joined the military and getting out and it's funny, I told my dad all the time, like I think I'm becoming more like you, the older I get. And it's kind of scary because I've gone through the hard times. I've been dirt poor and figured out ways to make two pennies become 10 bucks. You know, I've used, there's just things you got to do to survive, which I'm not sure if I would have been able to, if I hadn't gone the route I did. Um, and it's, uh, there's one other thing I always think is uh, it stuck with me. My uncle told me he was in the army mm-hmm. and uh, he said he always when he left home, he always knew the thing that's made him succeed and never move back in was knowing that if I if ever got to the point where he desperately needed to go home, he could. Mm-hmm. And it's not the first option, he said, but it's it's an option, you know, and it's so true. And I think a lot of people today, the first option is to panic and go straight home they run back with a tail between their their legs and help me out they there's no self-resolve anymore
1: right i know and it's hard to think about how we can teach you know teach our kids that i mean we do it by example we try to set the example and Mm -hmm. show them but there's so much against us right now right you know social media and everything else that's going on it's hard you know this is a this is an interesting time to be a parent of of young people every every generation has their own challenges but i think we have very unique challenges
0: yeah i mean just seeing how i mean be, having social media now i can't even imagine being in school with this stuff it it would have been crazy like thinking because yeah. uh, i know bullying became like a thing or it is still a big issue i could gonna say it became a thing but back in the day you know you get bullied but then would like, stop at the at school. You'd go home, and it'd be over. Right. But it's now, today, today, they get messages. They're getting, po- like, people. I'm sure kids post crazy yeah. pictures about kids, and just never stops. So I don't I've know how to have, do it.
1: Yeah, I've had to have with my 13 year old son, like, real, real life conversations with him. And I mean, really, and I, I'm just very blunt, and I've always been that way with him. And I think he respects that because he knows I'm a nurse. And so we've always I've always talked to him just like about your body, about you know, how you're feeling, about his mental health, about, you know, I say don't ever send, you know, send pictures of your naked body to people. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know we, talk about, we talk about girls and we talk about, you know, if you're ever with a girl, you know, you have to understand about how, you know, when to not cross the line, you know, we talk about those types of issues. He's only thirteen. But I don't ever want him to fall into a situation where, you know, he's, you know, where there's mixed communication there. And then, yeah. um, you know, so we, we have very honest conversations. And I want to prepare him to be um, the kind of young man that respects women, but is very smart about the choices he makes. That's what we always talk about making good choices and um, really thinking about the consequences of his actions. So.
0: So, you're, okay. yeah, he's going to be one of the, the few kids that are kind of old school in a sense because they're. I hope so. I see it all the time today. I'm just like, um, when I go somewhere, if I have like my this kids in a stroller or something and the person in front of me just doesn't hold the door open, I'm like, for real? Like, um, you know, can you I, just, like, they just walk in, let it close. It, that's one
1: of our, my biggest pet peeves, too.
0: It is. Not holding the door open for somebody. My wife, will be me when, I someone, when
1: I let someone pull out in front of me, I expect them to wave, like, thank you. <laughs> like, it drives me nuts when people do not wave. Like, come on, just wave. Yeah, I
0: mean, <laughs> it, 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 this happened actually just recently. Long I was long long like, to see. visiting my parents, and uh, there was like a Starbucks line or something right next to the sandwich shop that my mom and I went to go pick up some subs for everybody. And it, the line was kind of wrapping behind where we parked. So I put my you know, I'm going in reverse, I'm backing up in this car, just right behind me, just stops. I'm like, for real? Like what the-? I was trying not to get crazy. My mom was doing enough yelling in the car for me, but just man, the like just yeah. lack of awareness. I'm not sure if it's that or just not caring about the next person or the a person anybody beside yourself, it's just blows my mind sometimes right
1: and, and you know what and, and that's because we did serve and because we were taught to be have a situational awareness about what was going on around us we were taught to recognize and you know acknowledge authority or you know anyone um higher ranking lower ranking i mean it it, it is just you it just became sec- part of what we do and mm-hmm. i think it just increases your level of respect and um but you do take it personally
0: when that respect is not shown yeah i Try mean it. it's like a different level of anger when it happens mm-hmm. it, it's funny because uh i don't know like when stuff like that happened my mom was yelling she's like you need a honk but i was like okay i'm just trying to not <laughs> lose my cool right now because i'm right. already, i'm like inside i'm fuming but if i get out of the car it's just not going to be good you know i just right. sit here for a second and let me
1: exactly. process
0: what's happening and <laughs> Girls, I'm going to yeah. lose it too.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, trust me. You know, even as, as a nurse, you know, there's there were many times where I would, um, you know, be dealing with family members that were, you know, and understandably, it's, it's a really stressful time for them, right? Their loved ones in the hospital, they're just stressed out, they're scared, and a lot of times they would take out their anger or frustration on nurses. And, um, you know, you just kind of have to, you know, take it and do your best to diffuse the situation because you can't, you know, yell at the patient or the family. You have to really work with them and understand where they're coming from and just diffuse it. I think that that's taught me a lot of patients. You know, I always say my grandmothers, one of my grandmothers was a teacher and my other grandmother was a nurse. And so I feel like I kind of got like the best of both of them. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I think it's the apple didn't fall from the far from the tree, I guess. So.
0: And that's a thing that happens for not only nurses, though, when you have to um, deal with the the person that's upset or yelling at you. I think of like police officers, firefighters oh and mm-hmm. first responders and just general. What a, that must just suck sometimes because you're trying to help people. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine the stuff that you all go through When people are hurt or even a family member that's there and they're watching you treat their family member. They're like, what the hell are you guys doing? What's wrong with them? You're mm-hmm. trying to stay focused and help them all at the same time <laughs> while yeah. you're getting chewed out. It, it, that got to be a different level of being able to tune out people. I,
1: I tried um, to really, from my own health experience, experience, I tried to take those lessons as being the patient. And so now, as a nurse again, I really try to I try to remember how that felt right, and how, mm-hmm. how, how scary it was at times or how frustrating it was when I had to sit in the waiting room for, you know, An hour after my appointment time, so um, try to channel that, and it gives me a different perspective now when I'm dealing with patients about you know because I've been in their shoes and I know what they're feeling and where they're coming from.
0: (sighs) Yeah, (laughs) I can only imagine. Uh, Like I've I've had some interesting jobs throughout the years. Like I before I went while I was in college when I first got out, I was just really working like dead end jobs, working like at Lowe's and Home Depot's and Kohl's and stuff like that. And it it's a like that's the first time I worked in um, customer service mm-hmm. ever, too. And the way people even customer service talk to people this is like, holy cow. I remember getting yelled at by a customer. When I was at Lowe's and I just thought, like, you know nothing about me mm-hmm. and you're just chewing my ass right now for no freaking reason. And it's like, man, is it really that big of a deal? And that's that's what I I tell people all the time. I was like, if there's one thing I took away from the military, it's like, I don't sweat the small things like, you know, I think I got that guy was yelling at me for I worked in garden. We didn't have like mulch or something, a certain mulch and stock. He's like, how come you don't have it? Cussing at me. And it's like, I don't know, dude, he's like, it shows on the app or the online that you have it. Like, dude, I'm 22 years old, man. I don't know. I, I just work here like 20 hours a week, man. I don't know who orders this stuff. It's like, right. it's mulch. It's yeah, it's mulch. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't get in your car and drive crazy off home because you might hit somebody <laughs> and you're gonna have real problems. You know, it's like, gosh, just insane. Um, the level of impatience that people have, and I'm fairly impatient, but man, I some of these folks out here, they got a different level of impatience I've just never seen and encountered. Ever. Take it
1: personally. I don't take it personally because I feel like. I don't know where they're coming from and what their experiences have been, but mm-hmm. usually I'll just say, it sounds like it's something, it's a personal problem. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> nice know.
0: Yeah. That's, that's, how our, that's where I think I've gotten to now. Uh, cause I've been out for yeah, 10 years. So mm-hmm. like where I'm at now, I'm still doing, I guess, customer service, but in construction mm-hmm. industry. Like, okay. especially right now, we don't have certain things cause they're imported like certain irons and metals and, Mm-hmm. um stuff like that and it's holding up jobs and stuff and it's just like you know dude it's everywhere that's why i tell them like it's happening everywhere there's yeah. nothing i could really do i wish right. i could but yeah right. no,
1: i get it our so we have a we have a side hustle i call it and our, our side hustle <laughs> is um we make farmhouse furniture and yeah it, it's the cost of lumber and yeah. um certain things we can't even get anymore so yeah it's crazy it's you know the supply
0: chain issues yeah that's, that's it's really mm-hmm. i was doing a lot of traveling last year uh, for my company i did a lot of east coast traveling mm-hmm. uh, going to our different branches out there and um talking to folks and standardizing stuff and that's what everybody was saying they're like lumber's gone up and all this stuff and it's pissing off all of our customers it's mm-hmm. contractors are upset because now we're charging double and mm-hmm. like well shoot i'm sure they're charging double whoever the hell they're requesting payment from too because that's just the way the nature everything. of everything
1: right i mean gas here in new jersey is like i mean I, I, it's probably worse than where you are but it's four i think it was 468 a gallon today
0: yeah it's um it was six something the other day it, i have a v4 i have a four cylinder and it cost me 90 last time i think 98 bucks to fill up a little chevy malibu yeah
1: that's
0: I was like, damn! my dad has a truck, so when I we visit them, I'm just like, well, how much are you guys paying? Because I'm paying a hundred bucks for my little car. <laughs> that's
1: and everything groceries is crazy. Except everything is just out of control right now.
0: It is. It's it's uh mm-hmm. it's a crazy time. That's mm-hmm. for sure. And then on top of everything else, you know, we're all the you got all these different issues amongst, like you were saying, of our veterans, and we're all mm-hmm. trying to figure out ways to combat that at the same time as everything else is going to hell in a handbasket it seems like so (laughs) but you know i think it's it's great that what you're doing and hearing what other veterans are doing and just that's what i love about doing this podcast is i get to meet folks like yourself and other individuals that are doing the same thing they're finding a way to to help other veterans because that's Mm -hmm. that's all that's out there from what i can see for the most part where you can reach out help each other whatever it is um super it's it's hard to find and it's i think it's really picking up steam uh the last three or four years it seems like it's starting to become more of a a, a community than it was before at least when i first got out seemed everybody was just left to the winds you know everybody mm-hmm. scattered and nobody talked to each other anymore it's like hey we served with each other by and but now it seems like yeah that community's
1: you know i am i am Super proud that I served, and uh, you know, I, 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 a lot of the women here in New Jersey that I've connected with um, are in the same boat. Like they're just it's part of their identity. They're really just proud of it, and um, and we use that those skills they transferred into what we're doing now in life. So I, you know, I never want to forget that or hide that away. To me, that's part of who I am, and it's part of um, it's a huge part of what's how you know made me who I am in today and prepared me for a lot of those. You know things that we talked about today Mm -hmm. so i'm proud and you know i know i'm gonna go i'm actually going to our um our town's memorial uh ceremony ceremony tomorrow and i know i will get emotional um (laughs) because because i do i feel it like i feel it in here right Mm -hmm. and um and i just really feel fortunate that i had the opportunity to serve you know even if you know it was a short amount of time but it's still op. you know it's a um it's something that lives with me forever like you know nobody can ever take that away
0: it it really does too um I remember the first baseball game I went to in San Diego after I got out of Padre Stadium and they play a national anthem and i I think that was probably the first time I got goosebumps hearing the national anthem I, I was i
1: because it means something to you because yeah you, you did right
0: yeah exactly, you're exactly right, you know, mm-hmm. even if it was just four years i it the what my family went through what I went through and I met my wife while I was stationed down there. So she yeah. went through the last two years, mm-hmm. she was uh, going to college of mm-hmm. my service. You know, she dealt with that with me. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so it's like you're, it's a pride mm-hmm. aspect of it and you feel proud for your family and everybody that's with you on that journey. Cause it's like, you all went through it together. That's why I always tell my mom on veterans day, it's like, it's mm-hmm. much as my day as it is yours. Um, I mean, I still haven't moved home. So, <laughs> you know, it's like um, it's a it's a family affair and and it's it's awesome. It's a great thing to be a part of. That's for sure. So. Well, all right, Shannon, thank you so much for coming on, though. Really sure. appreciate it. Um, yeah. so any any final words for everybody out there to keep motivated or something from you? You know,
1: I would just say to all of the women, hopefully some women listen to this. And, you know, if you are a veteran and you are between 30 and 40 years old, get your breast cancer mammogram screening, do it, like, just do it. And, um, do you know, if you can't get a mammogram, do your self checks, stay on top of it, be aware of it. But um, that's what saved me was I had an early diagnosis. And so, you know, ask your doctor, get screened. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, right. I'll keep in touch and stuff. So thank you. Absolutely. Turning it was on. great talking
1: to you. Have great a great
0: day. Thank you. Thank you. So, greatly appreciate you for tuning in, watching this podcast or listening to it via Spotify or YouTube. Please like, and subscribe below. Click on the alert button. So anytime there's a new episode, you will find out. Thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it.